0: Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. My name is Mark Hofer and I'm here with my co-host. Anna Wren. Hi, Anna. How are you?
1: Good. How are you, Mark?
0: I'm good. And here in toasty Seattle, and I know you are going to be even more toasty today.
1: Yes, it's it's a scorcher, but I think our guest has it the hottest, right? We've got a really hot guest with us today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm excited because our guest I've actually known for quite a while, and uh, she is now in a position that is extraordinarily important. And I think all of our listeners will really appreciate our conversation with her. So we are going to speak with Anne Morano. Anne Morano serves as the executive director for colleges that change lives organization. And prior to representing the 44 member institutions and championing the liberal arts and student-centered college search and admission process through CTCL, she was the college bound advisor at the Irma Lerma Rangel Young Women's Leadership School in Dallas for 12 years, and before moving to Texas in 2009, and worked for 20 years in the college admissions counseling and second and several secondary and post-secondary institutions. A veteran of the Common Application Board of Directors, the Johns Hopkins University Access Advisory Board, and the UT Austin's High School Counselor Advisory Board. She is a proud first-generation college graduate who believes in the myth-busting and amplifying joy with and for students and families on the road to college. Hi, Anne. How are you?
2: Hi. It's so good to be with you both today. Thanks for making space for the conversation.
1: I'm doing quite well. Thanks.
0: Very good, Anna. You want to start off with some co- questions for Anne?
1: Sure. So not everybody knows or is familiar with colleges that change lives, um, both the book and the organization. So would you mind providing our listeners with a little bit information about, you know, what, or what we can use the acronym CTCL, I guess more information about what CTCL as an organization is and how it got started. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. And I, full confession, I have been
2: a super fan of CTCL for years, so I'm delighted to get the chance to talk about it and and certainly to lead the organization in conjunction with our member institutions. It all started with a book. In uh, 1996, Lauren Pope, who had been for many, many years with the College Placement Bureau as an independent college counselor based in California. And also had been a journalist writing for various publications on education and other things. And uh, he had a radio career at one point. But after years of working with private clients and being asked to identify those gems, those schools that didn't typically make it into conversations into the college search process, he decided that he wanted to amplify a group of schools that was doing extraordinary work but that maybe didn't have the name or brand recognition and schools that were still accessible to students um, that maybe weren't hyper competitive. He definitely was a fan of the liberal arts. And so that was at the forefront of his mind. And he was looking for schools that provided communities for students, real communities where the faculty was focused on undergraduate teaching and on creating more of a family experience and high impact educational opportunities before that's what we called them uh, or before that became trendy or popular. And so in 1996, he published a book called The Colleges That Change Lives, 40 Schools You Should Know About. And he profiled 40 different institutions across the country and the things they had in common were again, completely focused on the liberal arts um, very passionate about that, a teaching faculty. They tended to be smaller colleges. They tended to be colleges that were mostly residential. So, we're residential life and most of the students lived on campus. And campuses that offered students something transformative, um, introduced them to opportunities they might not have known about otherwise that were research heavy. And again, like I said, schools that were doing things that are pretty, were pretty extraordinary, but that maybe weren't Getting a lot of attention. So, since that time, uh, the organization, well, the organization started roughly in 1998. We weren't actually a nonprofit organization, and we are a nonprofit organization. We weren't a nonprofit until 2006, but in 1998, some very excited admissions officers connected to some of the member schools decided that they should travel together to bring the message about the liberal arts and student centered experiences and high impact educational experiences. And I'm talking about like research and study abroad and collaborative experiences that necessarily weren't talked about as much as they are now, but to bring the message around all of that, um, out to the general public in a much bigger way. And so they started traveling together and hosting events. And it's something that we still do all these years later. And in 2006, like I said, we were, um, became an official nonprofit. And so depending on what year you use, we're almost coming up on our 25th anniversary. <laughs> um, there have been four editions of the book, the last one in 2012. And since that time, several schools have been added. And so now we're sitting at 44 member institutions that share similar characteristics that I've already talked about, but are different and diverse and wonderful in that difference in diversity. And, and that's something that I'm really attracted to about the group of schools, the collection of schools. Um, because we've got single-gender schools, we have schools that are more religiously affiliated, we have schools in all parts of the country, um, schools that maybe have a little more robust athletic programs. So there's something for everybody if they're if they're looking for schools that have those characteristics of being really student-centered, teaching faculty, high-impact experiences, and liberal arts. Oh, and liking to live on campus. Um, that's a that's the briefest introduction I think I've ever given, <laughs> believe it or not.
0: <laughs> so, Anne, you you mentioned that uh, in '96 it was 40 schools that were represented, and now we're at 44. Um, right. And it, did you see how I included myself in this? Uh, we're at <laughs> 44. Um, I like that, affiliation.
2: Just... You're welcome to the family. <laughs>
0: I'm part of the fan club. And um, one of the things that I I would like to know, because I don't, is how do schools apply to be part of it? And what would they benefit from becoming uh, a member of the organization?
2: That's a great question. Mark, um, there's actually no formal application process. There have been four editions of the book. The fourth version was co-authored and co-edited by Hillary Mazel Oswald, and working in conjunction with Lauren, they brainstormed a list of schools that had come across their radar, that had been recommended to them, that they conducted formal interviews with and visited, and then determined which ones to invite—not to the organization. It was—it's a separate process, but to uh, be profiled in the book, and then. After that happened, the organization invited those schools to join uh, CTCL. So since there's not been plans in the works for fifth edition of the book, that's something that the organization is considering. Um, How do we distill and stay true to the original spirit of selection, if you wanna say it that way, and identify for ourselves other schools that are mission aligned, um, that sometimes people think or say, oh, I'm surprised that X institution isn't a member of your organization. Um, That's actually something that we're talking about as we we
1: talk about our identity now that we're a quarter of a century old. That's definitely very exciting, though. And and I think, you know, I didn't know before that you guys had added four new colleges. Um, And so another question could be because you had said that you guys are all liberal arts colleges and that was really important for, and we we ask this of other people all the time, there's so many, there's hundreds of liberal arts colleges. What would you say to people that, A, (laughs) don't see the value of liberal arts colleges, and B, what would you say the distinct value is of the CTCL liberal arts colleges? Yeah, so I think the distinct, so first let me
2: start with the value of a liberal arts college. I think it has to do with whole person education, and that, Regardless of what you think you want to study or what you think you want to do, being prepared across academic disciplines, so getting exposed to all kinds of different subject areas, will in your lifetime make you more effective and happier. That's a bold claim, but I'm going to say it Uh, more effective, happier, more flexible, more able to pivot into new situations and positions than a degree that's completely focused on one thing. I think you benefit from, we believe this actually, um, otherwise I wouldn't be promoting it, but we believe in the intersection of ideas so that if you are studying the natural sciences and you're sitting next to a philosopher and poet, the two of you are going to be able to have conversations and problem solve and think about things creatively and differently than if you were surrounded just by your own like folk in your similar major academic area. And that Again, will give you an insight into the human condition, into the world. Uh, will prepare you for situations uh, that won't be so baffling because you've had experience in them already, having had those other kind of level conversations. And you know, I think there are a lot of us in higher education that say, you know, you're being educated and trained for positions and jobs and fields and opportunities that don't even exist today. And I think the liberal arts have been preparing students those sorts of things that reality for years very deliberately
0: amen, amen. Deliberate.
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, because you know i can teach you how to create a widget but if i guide you in your own journey of personal self-discovery which sounds like really lofty and like a bad after school special or self-help program but i don't <laughs> want get that way <laughs> i mean if i can really uh, guide you and that's that's what what's happening in liberal arts classrooms through discussion and through being engaged with people who think differently than you do, certainly by engaging with folks who think similarly to to how you do, but with folks who think differently than you do and by exposing you to ideas and concepts and subjects that you might not have touched otherwise because, oh, that's outside of my major, I'm going to give you an opportunity to grow, uh, to question and to really get comfortable with change and tough questions and Cracking codes and all sorts of different things, right? So, I mean, I know from my own experience, even though it's ancient history, um, I went to a liberal arts college by accident. It was a happy accident, and <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, check back for for volume two on that story. But um, and I remember having a hysterical tantrum when my advisor was placing me in a sociology class because I really wanted to take another three or four hours. Uh, in my major, which was which was English, and had it not been that sociology class, I ended up double majoring in sociology. Uh, mm. What an enriching experience! In terms of look at where I am now, working working in the field, I didn't know that when I was a new undergrad, right? Um, and it forced me to take a critical look at all sorts of things I wouldn't have, and has served me in so many other ways. And so that's just, I mean, a tiny little personal example, but. Um, And the second part of that question, in terms of why I think the CTCL colleges do the liberal arts in air quotes in a distinct way. And that's actually something I say frequently that they are distinctly different is because they've been doing it organically for years. It's kind of, they're hardwired um, to put a teaching faculty in classrooms, which are Noted for discussion and collaborative experiences, um, and in those high impact experiences, certainly rooted in the liberal arts, that I think other schools have come to discover as vital and important later in life. Like I think CTCL schools have been leading the trend in terms of putting undergraduates in research situations and into opportunities to getting published and to study abroad and exchange programs um, before those things became, available to more students, like CTCL schools um, have been doing that organically and have been making those opportunities available to students, um, more students, right? Not making it something that might be accessible to you, but making it something that's understood that it's going to be a part of your regular program. Um, And in that way, I think they're serving the liberal arts by providing those kind of experiences. At its core... The original group of schools were identified as schools, I think I might have mentioned this, that were accessible to students that weren't hyper-competitive. And so, when you think about transformative experiences on a lot of highly rejective, thank you for that term, Akil bello institutions, you know, they're not always experiences that are available to everybody. You have to have a certain kind of access or position or network already. And I think um, in a very democratic way, in a, in a pure definition of that word, the CTCL schools within the context of the liberal arts believe that those experiences were vital for everybody. So I hope somewhere in there you can untangle what I'm trying to say <laughs> about why.
0: Well, one of the things, and as, as an educator, I think people who have worked with students to and through high school and college um, it, it's an interesting thing. A lot of them understand, well, liberal arts college and experience is an extraordinary thing. And what you are allowed to, what you are able to do afterwards is um, a very different thing than if you just were very focused on material um, and getting a degree in a subject area. And when I talk with a lot of parents and students, I say specifically for um uh, CTCL schools, I, I kind of preface it with their, one of the main missions of their existence is they want students to be able to think, write, and communicate effectively as a baseline. And everything else is kind of built on that. Is that, I mean, in, in that kind of a description, is that kind of what you see in all the schools?
2: Yeah, I think that's a totally fair assessment. And I would I would layer on also that um, they're inviting students to be challenged, which is exciting. And they are inviting students to be involved outside of the classroom in really big ways and to take leadership roles that aren't always defined by a title. um, But that will help that that young person, that student. Um, once they've left that institution in their workplace or in their community, continue to stay engaged and to do work that matters, right? To do the good work. And that doesn't mean that you can't support yourself. I think sometimes there's <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a misunderstanding that, Oh, liberal arts grads won't, you know, they're going to, ex- they're going to sub exist, right? They're not going to be able to they're all or, or <laughs> join. Join the great. I was going to say, join the great middle class or advance higher than their station, but um, <laughs> they're not going to be able to financially do very well. And and it's just the contrary. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, you can you can find the research that says they do quite well, and I think that's because um, they they win their way through working with and alongside and in, in collaboration with and partnership with all kinds of different people and experiences and concepts and topics because they've had that exposure. Um, and so it makes them very valuable employees, or they they may even develop a more entrepreneurial spirit, right? because we've been focused on the human experience and problem solving
0: and and that. so right that 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 whole thinking thing is way overrated I... <laughs> right. <laughs> right
2: right, right. Um, that's that's so funny. I mean, I think um, you know, I, I fought with my own parents quite a bit who, as a first-generation student myself, and they were first-generation parents, um, who thought that the clearest pathway to success was a very straight line that involved studies in business or nursing or teaching, right? Because those were predictable and, mm-hmm. um, and safe. And so when you say to them, as a first-generation kid, I'm going to go to a liberal arts college and I'm going to study English literature <laughs> and writing and sociology so I can understand culture and the way people organize themselves in groups mm-hmm. and why decisions that's that's a a hard sell but you know several several years into my career in higher ed they got it they got it um and the fact that uh, i could move easily among communities and and things that was that was the biggest sell but so i I get the i get the
1: hesitancy i do see like for example you had mentioned in Like I was wondering, given all the quote unquote change (laughs) that has happened these past few years, do you see more students gravitating towards CTCL schools? Because it does sound like it provides a nurturing environment in which to grow and help them adapt to, you know, different challenges that life might throw at them, right? Um, Because, you know, what happens if widgets are unnecessary one day, right? What if, you know, you have to come up with something else and it sounds like, you know, they can learn problem solving, for example, communication, community, all those things at CTCL. So do you find that CTCL schools are more popular these days?
2: I think, I I love that question and I would would answer it with a resounding yes. I think what we're finding is that, students and families are uh, looking for community. I was speaking with a colleague the other day that after what we are, I hesitate to say um, what we've been through because I think we're still dealing with things um, in a number of ways. Like I say, it's the continuing times. But I think one thing that we experienced was that the village vanished, right? And so um, for students and families who value the village, Um, because their educational experiences were so upended and so different. They really are looking for communities and they're looking for communities like you've just highlighted that are focused on them. You know, we, we take that student centered search piece very seriously and the student centered experience very seriously at CTCL schools. And I think that's resonating with people in a much stronger way than maybe it had before or in a different way. The clanging of the bells maybe is a, a different timber, but but they definitely are looking for those sorts of experiences, and to know that they will be known on campus, um, and uh, certainly nurtured and challenged, and I hesitate to say taken care of, but look at looked after, and not that that's not happening on other campuses, but that that our schools have been very um, upfront and and devoted to that, and you can. You can tell when you hit one of the CTCL campuses that that's a value. I would say that's what that's what people are hungry for. Um, I, we we returned to in-person programming on a on a limited basis a little scale back last summer and this summer we're back in full force. We'll be in 17 cities with our college fairs and information sessions, 22 different Yay. events. Yay, oh. I know, I'm so excited. <laughs> Um, And so if people are interested, they can look at ctcl.org for that. But last summer, I can't tell you how many times people were moved to tears. Our attendees, our guests, our students, families, and counselors that came out to see us in the 13 cities we got to hit, um, they were in tears. They were so grateful to be connecting again and so grateful to be connecting with a group of schools that would, like I said, put them front and center. So that's another long-winded way of answering your question. But I think, I think, yeah, we're trending. We're trending. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hashtag
0: CCCL. Okay, so I have to push back a little bit. And, and so all the warm fuzzies that we've talked about with liberal arts colleges, and it, um, I, I think a lot of listeners know, I, I am a proponent of STEM. I've worked in it, taught it, believe in it, thrive on it. But a lot of people think that, well, you have to do either or. It's liberal arts or the sciences. And I think I, and there are very specific schools that I have direct relationships with and have had students uh, graduate from who work in the sciences. And um, I'll name a couple of the, the, the schools that are CTCLs, like Reed and Willamette, which are, are close nearby to my, to my neighborhood. Um, Worcester is another one, Allegheny and Whitman, here, another one here in Washington, all have really strong science programs. And I think that gets lost in the conversation when mm-hmm. we talk about uh liberal arts being, uh, you know, just uh, more of a, a study in the humanities. And right. I think that's, that's really not fair. And especially because there are so many schools in the organization that really do teach strong sciences. And do you find that that gets lost in the conversation when somebody says, well, yeah, I'm going... I'm going to a liberal arts college uh, college or one of the CTCL schools, and they're not giving it, you know, their science cred. Is that something you encounter regularly?
2: Yes. So thanks for bringing it up. I think there is that assumption that, oh, that I'm going to be so steeped in the humanities that I couldn't possibly have a robust program in the natural sciences, or I'm headed to a professional school in one of the healthcare uh, industry preparing kind of majors or subject areas. And so there's no way I'm going to be ready for med school or dental school or veterinary school. If I go to a liberal arts college. And, and that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. It's are several more more. Actually, I mean, I would, I could point to just about every one of the campuses and say, (laughs) uh, you will have a robust experience. I'm going to point to all 44 of them, Mark and Anna, that's (laughs) a bold claim today. Uh, but, you know, depending on which science, which STEM uh, field you want to head into, you know, that computer science folks think, oh, I can't do computer science at a liberal arts school, school or it's too small. Um, which, when did small become a deficit also? Small <laughs> in iron, small, small liberal arts school, uh, you know, means, wow, you might actually get more attention as an undergrad. Could that be a bad thing? Well, it might be if that's not something you're looking for. Anyway, that's a whole other tangent. Um but, you know, I think folks think, oh, I can't do the computer science and I can't do, on the contrary, I think you, well, I know this to be true, um, that you're going to be working so closely with your faculty and engaged in very real substantive research experiences from the get-go and have an opportunity to be published and to explore your interests and then have all of those experiences to share in a resume or CV or application to whatever post-grad or professional program that you're looking at, um, and I'm Many of the schools boast placement rates in a medical school that rival some of the institutions I may have mentioned earlier, but um, that, you know, that that are more popular and more thought of. From personal example, I have a student at Juniata College in Pennsylvania right now who's a biochemistry major who came out of the last school that I worked at from Irma Rangel, who even before she started her undergraduate career was connecting to faculty in STEM And identifying experiences that they wanted to get her involved with and was doing research her freshman year that was pretty intensive alongside uh, professors. I don't know where that happens. I mean, the access to labs and to faculty in the sciences, the fact that faculty are not as obsessed with their own publisher parish requirements, right? (laughs) That they are more engaged, I think, in teaching and bringing along undergrads, especially in the sciences, since that's the conversation we're having now. Um, yep. Makes those campuses valuable places to do work in STEM, and I can go on for hours and hours about those those kinds of experiences.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have a student. <laughs> I have a student at Reed with their brand new. I think it's only two years old. Their their computer science program, and they were accepted many, many of the big names, and decided that Reed was the the right place for them. And in checking in, uh, she said that the one-on-one individual attention that she's receiving and the rigor of her coursework. She said she can't see it having happened anywhere else. So that was a very exciting thing, especially for a new program.
2: Right, yeah, and I think also when you are doing STEM at a liberal arts school and being exposed to other subjects, you know, I can't speak to that being well-rounded enough. And I think that makes you actually a more interesting and more compelling applicant or candidate for admission to professional schools, when you can speak to not just your STEM area, but also the fact that you had applied those concepts to psychology or gerontology or to history or philosophy. You know, speaking of philosophy, what a mind twist that is for somebody going into (laughs) (laughs) medical school. But I mean, really, when you think about bioethics, right? I mean, at the heart of that is yeah. I just think that that's another bonus that you get that you might not have if you if you weren't um, encouraged or expected to have that experience in the liberal arts. So. Okay.
1: And I think it blows my mind because I feel like right now, it, tell me if I'm wrong, but... It is a buzzword in in colleges these days when they do their info sessions and I'm not knocking them in any way, but that they talk about interdisciplinary learning, right? Or hands-on experiences. And I think a lot of people don't realize but the colleges that changed lives, they've had that. (laughs) Right, Right. it's not new to us, Um, you know, we're not not so audacious
2: that we're going to take credit for creating that movement. But um, I think, you know, it's something that that all of these institutions and why they stood out for, for Lauren is that they were they were doing it organically. It was at the heart of who they were. It was something that was as important to them as the land they chose to establish the school on. Right. Um, they wanted to create those experiences for students from the get go. And so I know several of my colleagues have said, oh, CTCL was ahead of the trend, you know,
0: <laughs> and I think yeah, by 100, 100 years.
2: By 100 years, exactly, and I think interdisciplinary <laughs> is just, you know, another way of repackaging the liberal arts, maybe for folks who, oh, it's interdisciplinary, maybe for folks who find the liberal arts distasteful, or for some, <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> think that's passe, or that, you know, oh, no, 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 it's, that's, it's not the liberal arts, because they so assume that liberal means liberal, you know, leaning in a certain political way, which it certainly does not, but... Um, <laughs> With that, You know, I mean, there are all types and all personalities and all opinions on all of our campuses. And uh, anyway, so, yeah, I think interdisciplinary is a new packaging or repackaging. And I don't, you know, if it brings people to the conversation to kind of uh, to really kind of peel back the layers and and examine what that means. and And it shines a larger spotlight on the liberal arts and and therefore on the CTCL colleges. I'm all for it
0: i never heard that. I, I, now I've got it in my mind. No, the liberal arts is not a liberal conspiracy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I've had students, you know, bring that up before and make that assumption. Great. And so you do have to kind of help them better understand what is a liberal arts college. Um, But I think the other thing I wanted to ask you was like, you know, admissions is so crazy these days. We've talked to a few guests about this. Uh, Admissions (laughs) has gone like off the rails. Um, But you you know, what you said earlier reminded me when we uh, of a conversation, when we spoke with Michael B. Horn, when he was um, doing his book, choosing college and how important it is to have kids and their families in the driver's seat. And how um, and that student-centered approach. And so I know for some families, they might think like, oh, well, if college that colleges that change lives are not as, quote-unquote, competitive, is that not as good? But what I would want you to kind of speak to is maybe helping them understand that even though it might be, quote-unquote, more accessible, how it's still such amazing quality education and kind of busting that myth, if you will.
2: Yeah, and I... It, this is this is something that um i call you know look lauren published a book called looking beyond the ivy league um which predates the the colleges that change lives uh, his seminal work i didn't know um, that yeah i didn't hear yeah so that's something also to check out um some of us think it was the genesis of this of the colleges that change lives um but to get at this point that Selectivity doesn't always mean quality and it doesn't always mean a quality experience for you as an individual person, right? What will be best for you? And it's something that, that I've fought against my entire life is saying, we're going to look beyond the eight sweatshirt schools that everybody recognizes. <laughs> Again, not to be judgmental or disparaging about those eight sweatshirt schools, but there are 3,900 colleges in this country. Um, I'm particularly obsessed with 44 at the moment. And so, um, <laughs> What I, would, what I would say to that, to get to your question, um, is let's go back to what you value or what you think you're going to want or expect or value from your undergraduate experience and look for those places that are going to provide that for you, right? I think that's our beating against the rankings or talking about reality around the rankings has a lot to do with, let's look at what those rankings, the national ones that we're aware of, that we're familiar with. Um, let's look at at what they're really measuring and whether or not that stands the test of what's important to you. And I think when you reframe the conversation that way, it can help students and families understand that if you value asking questions, if you're somebody who is inquisitive and has a great deal of intellectual curiosity and wants to linger once the bell has rung, or you know, ask the who, what, why, where, Etc., kind of questions, and you're not satisfied with a rote answer, you know, you're not about regurgitating information just to get to the grade that you really want to understand, um, then you're going to be happier in a classroom that creates a space for that, right? If you know that you like to work in collaboration with folks, that you are not an island of one in your academic or other pursuits, you're going to want to be in a place that gives you the opportunity to collaborate. And I don't know that you can put a selectivity index on that. Um, I also think that our schools being accessible means, like I said, more students have access to more opportunities. And for students who may not always speak up right away or may not self-advocate right away, because self-advocacy is not, uh, and that's another conversation, so I hope you'll invite me back. Um, Self-advocacy (laughs) is. is a learned skill, right? I don't think it's something that we learn how to, that that we just come into this world knowing how to do. And so if you're not a student who knows necessarily how to speak up when you need help or to ask those tough questions or to seek out resources, because again, we're not taught to do that. Uh, I mean, we should be taught to do that. We We don't come to that naturally. But if you're somebody who necessarily doesn't do that as well, And it's not that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a character flaw by any stretch of imagination. But it's very hard to hide at a CTCL campus. You're going to be front and center in front of faculty who are very, very invested in your success, and surrounded by peers who are too. And you're going to get plugged into opportunities that you might not have pursued because you might not have thought, oh, I don't know if that's for me, or maybe I think the field is too competitive. There's too many folks going out for it. Whatever it is, like right, like those things are happening. with with your consent and with your will but you're you're getting plugged into opportunities that then give you a chance to grow in ways that make you stronger and that transform you and then keep you as competitive as folks who may have gone into those highly rejective or other kind of situations that were more competitive again in air quotes
0: right so one of the things so we're talking about characteristics of students uh that that tend to migrate towards um ctcl philosophy and and what their mission is um i'm curious so you've you've talked seen a Mm -hmm. lot of the schools and you've talked to the professors and the students uh if you were to say with a big broad brush one of the the most character the most common character trait that you see in the professors who teach at these schools what would you say that that over overarching character trait is
2: a real all in capitals, R-E-A-L, highlighted, maybe with confetti and spotlights, <laughs> but not glitter because glitter is messy and it goes everywhere and you can never get rid of it. <laughs> um, really a deep, deep, deep commitment to undergraduates and to the teaching of undergraduates, like real teaching.
0: Do you find Where that a lot, prof- a lot of the professors come from other schools because they crave what kind of institution they want to teach in, and they find that at a CTCL.
2: Yeah, I think I, I think I'm comfortable saying that anecdotally, for sure, that they are looking for those institutions that values the individual student, that is student centered, and that puts the greatest value on the teaching of undergraduates, of working closely with students to and through their academic journeys. Like I said, plugging them into those experiences, but on the on the teaching, because these are faculty professors who are in love with their subject areas, we hope, right? We hope that for all faculty, um, but who are not necessarily as burdened uh, by producing their own research. And they are doing their own research, but it's in a different context. They don't have the pressure to do that uh, like they might at other institutions. Um, they're doing it for the love of it, and they're doing it – they're inviting their undergrads along with them. So, yes, I definitely think they're craving that kind of connection and that kind of community um, where they are They are teaching. They are teaching, and I know you can't – you and your listeners can't see me right now, but I'm just <laughs> – my hands are balled up in fists and my eyes are closed. One, one has kind of an experience that's otherworldly. Can you imagine they're teaching, they're engaging – the students in conversation and being challenged themselves by those students. Um, but, you know, but being able to uh, be so fully immersed in their subject area rather than, you know, that publish or perish thing. So, yes.
0: That, that's funny. I, I, I wrote a blog on the difference between teaching and professing. Ah. Yeah. I got, I, I got <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of um, comments. We'll put it that way. from uh, <laughs> from, from From professors who took, Offense to that. Oh really? Oh yeah, because professing is providing information and not caring about what's done with it or who hears it and in what way. And then teaching, like Anne, and I'm I'm here with my fists in the air and saying, you know, <laughs> teaching teaching is an engaging activity. It is, you know. Right. There, it, you, you, it's, not, it's not something done passively.
1: Exactly. I, I, you painted such an interesting picture, guys, because it actually made me think of, like, my favorite teachers growing up, like, from elementary school that really made you think you could go out into the world and just do anything. and made you, like, get really excited about learning random information. And I think that's an amazing feeling to get from an educational environment right especially when as we like I hear from my students all the time like you know this class isn't working out so well it's like oh what's going on they're like they don't teach they're like they're telling us you know to prepare for college they're not going to teach us we have to teach ourselves and so then they ask the next question kind of like so why do we spend so much on a college education if they're not teaching us? And that's really hard to answer sometimes. But I think I do love that about, you know, the, that quality that the professors have at colleges that change lives is that they really want to be teaching. And, you know, for students, it sounds like that really want to have people or teachers that are invested in their growth, that that's a great fit. Right, right.
2: Um, and to, yeah, to be in a situation or place experience where what you say really matters and that it's, um, I don't know, just the exploration of ideas and what's important to you and that that's going to be valued and taken into consideration and that the big questions you have are going to be entertained and encouraged. Uh, that's, that's incredible because they're, they're teaching individual people who are going to enter the world. I think college is the real world. So I don't like when people say, when you enter the real world, the workforce, No, <laughs> college is the real world. Like, and so is high school and so is kindergarten. But anyway, um, but when you, you know, when you, when you get launched after having that sort of experience, um, it's, it's much, it's so much different. You, there's an awareness there, um, but mm-hmm. being surrounded by folks who are, yeah, you're, you're their main mission <laughs> uh, is a, is a very, telling thing. And I, you know, so many students have come back to me after their liberal arts experiences, um, to tell me, wow, I, I, I would have never imagined that I would be doing X, Y, or Z, or that I would have met X, Y, and Z people, or that I would have traveled to these parts of the world, or that I would have had the opportunity to be a part of that change or that movement or initiative. But I got the confidence in those classrooms at my liberal arts college and also because I had experience practicing or you know, honing those skills in those classrooms because I was encouraged to do that and because no idea was too outlandish. Right? I mean, maybe we didn't always have the financing for it, but we got creative, ha ha
0: ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk about the real world and, and I, you know, I've got students who are at CTCL schools And I know a lot of graduates of them. And there are some things that I hear over and over when they talk about the return on investment of that education. So you are, I mean, you're in the thick of it. You talk to uh, those students, you know, those juniors and seniors who have experienced and drank the Kool-Aid of, you know, getting out there and doing it. And then you've also talked with graduates, I'm sure. And I'm curious, you know, what is that common thing that you hear over and over That they say, well, when I'm in the real world, these are the things that make me um, a valuable commodity and directly related to how I'm going to be able to get a good job. Do you hear certain things that you hear over and over?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that pops up for me immediately is the ability to be creative around problem solving or the ability to have the vision to think beyond what that situation is right in front of me. Right. To stay three or four steps ahead. And I'm, I'm trying to think of a really specific example from a recent experience experience with a student. But um, I imagine this. Imagine an engineer trained at a liberal arts college. What? What is that a thing? That's is that a unicorn that she just mentioned? <laughs> there are liberal arts colleges with engineering programs and some of them even have three, two programs. Right. Where you can do um in partnership with another institution, earned two degrees in five years, which makes you even more valuable. More. Senior. Agreed.
0: More valuable.
2: Yeah. Um, I know I we should have issued a disclaimer that I have some pretty strong opinions about things, but <laughs> um, uh, just to tie it back to the STEM, Mark, I was just thinking of, yeah, one of my graduates who did an engineering degree at a liberal arts college, and she, uh, she uh, is in a project group of five, and her team members all outage her by at least 30 years and come from a demographic and cultural background that she does not come from. So think about maybe the, yep. the dominant culture in engineering mm-hmm. okay? and she is not from that background. And so at first she was tentative to join the project group because she thought, wow, am I going to be able to communicate with these folks and have them understand what I'm trying to say? And and my viewpoints and then she realized she called me when she when she accepted the position into the group and she said miss (laughs) morano i had to remind myself that i went to a liberal arts school of course i'm ready for this i can do this (laughs) Um, and cut to 18 months later um and some of the information she shared with me is proprietary so i can't share it with you and your listeners but um they were working on something and um and she was the one who came up with the, the way out when they had hit a wall. And they have since elevated her to lead several other project groups um, because of that experience. So I don't know if that's a great, right example, but that's just that's just one I thought of um, from her humble beginnings at a small liberal arts college that had an engineering program. Um, yep. And so, yeah, graduates will say that to me all the time. I, I am valued for my problem solving skills, for my ability to think on my feet, my ability to look for the answers, to not mm-hmm. give up after the first or second try, but to keep going. So my, my persistence, my ability to hang in there or to say sometimes the fanciful, what if we tried <laughs> and then go for it, right? And then come up with a way to do it. Um, and I oh, think the other oh, thing, but
0: all those terrible characteristics of a leader, you know? right?
2: right. <laughs> aren't those, aren't those anus. <laughs> those are, um, those are just despicable, and I think the other thing would be um, their ability to work collaboratively in groups and collaboratively. Collabor- well, say that ten times. Collaboratively in groups and to work collaboratively with groups of people that don't always share their background experiences. Right. So if if the New way to say liberal arts is interdisciplinary. What's the new word to say? I'm working with a, a multicultural or multidimensional <laughs> kind of people, but but essentially that's it, right? As we talk about, what we have for years, the world becoming smaller and we're all closer to each other because of all the different ways we can communicate and connect. But really, having experiences as an undergrad with other folks, with other folks, uh, that then makes you more. Of a valued asset in the workplace because you can navigate those conversations and spaces because you've had experience doing it already right exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and, yeah can oh, yeah. <laughs> we get arousing yes yes that is
1: true
0: so i have i have one last question and it's actually a comment and i just would love to hear your take on it because the first ctcl school that i actively sought out and um visited Number of years ago, I had just gone to one of the larger state schools where every couple of feet was a, you know, a statement that said, do not leave your valuables, you know, anywhere un un you know, unattended.
2: Unattended. Yeah. And so
0: I, and so I go to St. Olaf in Minnesota and I go in and I go to the, uh, undergraduate admissions. And I say, hey, is there a tour available? I knew there wasn't. I just wanted to walk the campus. Um, and they said, no, there there isn't one right now. But uh, one of the um, students behind the desk said, I've got about 45 minutes. Do you want to go see the school? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And so we took a tour on the school and we ended up in the student union building. And I look over and there is a whole bunch of beautiful brass mailboxes and they're all open. And I'm going, <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? And, I, right. and I, right. I, I said to her, I said, but why are all the mailboxes open? Aren't they worried? And she said, she, she, she smiles. And then she looks over at a table and there's a com- computer sitting on it. And she said, that computer's been there for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're kidding me. And she says, no, wow. it's part of our honor code. Mm. And I said, tell me more. And she described the environment that that school operates under. Is this a normal environment <laughs> that <laughs> students can you know, expect on CTCL schools?
2: I, I think it is. I'm so delighted that you had that experience. Um, so delighted. It doesn't surprise me that that student was available and was so excited to show you around. Yep, I
0: think, exactly.
2: yeah, I mean, if I had to estimate, I'd probably say about a third of them have formal honor codes or pledges that students sign or in some sort of communal way. Uh, agree to, maybe a complication in the fall. Um, and then the rest of them have community-minded, community-centered codes of conduct that speak to exactly what you just did, that in this community we look out for each other, we take care of each other, uh, we value each other, here are the ways we do that, and that we've got that mutual respect for each other and our things. So I would say that is not an anomaly at St. Olaf uh, that you'll find that across, across the, the campuses
0: for sure. Yep. It was, it was warm fuzzy. Yeah, me too. And that's, that's the reason why I, I, I was, I, I really wanted to bring that up. And, uh, because I know students would love to experience an environment like that. Um, she, she mentioned, uh, I'm just worried when I go out into the real world and forget it's the real world. <laughs> <And>
1: like,
2: <laughs> right. Uh, that all exactly. of a sudden, you have to write secure things and that sort of thing. Well, and I think you know, um, from from the beginning, from the book through the the organization's founding, um, these are schools that are like. I mean, I've used the word community maybe one too many times, but also, Lauren, uh, in the first book, and, and we've talked about this as an organization, and, and I have with the member institutions. These are these are families, and so families, right, look after each other, respect each other, and each other's things, and. Uh, care for each other. So it is a, it is a warm and fuzzy, but it's also a, uh, um, siblings don't always get along. Right. So there will be times where you have <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity to work through tough conversations and to, and to learn how to navigate all of those things. So I think there is a very real world preparation. Um, it just comes with maybe some softer spaces to land when things don't go as well, or when you make those mistakes, we're going to be there to pick you up and say, all right, right now, what do we try? Right. Um, I think that's very real world preparation. But yeah, you probably will need to purchase some some locks for your locker <laughs> or, or whatever. <laughs> unless unless you've been raised so well or that you've learned so much from your CTCL undergraduate experience that you know to look for those workplaces
1: and work communities that also support those kind of values. So
0: who knows? Agreed. Yeah. Love push it. it forward.
1: Thank you so much, Anne, for joining us today. Now, can you just uh, recap for people who want to learn more about CTCL or your schedule coming up, how they can learn more. Thank you again for the chance to uh, spend some time with
2: you all and, and all of you listeners. This has been uh, a really good time to spend time with folks that that get it. Uh, it's,
0: it's just lovely
2: <laughs> to, to connect um, and to have conversations about things that, that we all value and want to uplift. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and so we're excited to be out on the road. Um, the best place to start would be ctcl.org and right there on our landing page you'll find a link to information about the events that we're hosting this summer we start on the west coast uh july 30th will be in san diego and we'll finish up the tour on august 24th in charlotte north carolina and we'll be everywhere in between so check that out and pre-registering is great uh, because when you arrive at the event, you'll be ready to engage in conversation through our opening session where we're going to talk about rethinking your college search uh, from a student-centered <laughs> perspective. I know, be prepared. Uh, probably <laughs> a little more information about the liberal arts. And then, and then uh, we open it up to a college fair and you can discover which one or a dozen or 25 of the CTCL campuses might be an excellent fit for you. Um, so t- CTCL... And I look forward to seeing everybody
1: there.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Ann. Thanks,
1: Thanks Anne. so much.
0: Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.